Hey everyone, this is Ryan from Athix Fitness, and you are listening to Season 2 of the Athix Approach Podcast, the podcast where we highlight inspirational vegan athletes and what they do to absolutely kill it on a plant-based diet. If you haven't already, it would really help out if you subscribed to, liked, commented, and or shared any of the content I'm producing, including this podcast, Athix Coaching Services, articles and training programs available on athixfitness.com, videos on YouTube, and more. Links for those will be in the description, and I truly appreciate everyone listening for all of the continued love and support. In this episode, I'm joined by none other than Robert Cheek, the godfather of vegan bodybuilding, activist, motivational speaker, founder of veganbodybuilding.com, and best-selling author. Robert was the first person I personally ever heard of competing in bodybuilding as a natural athlete on a completely plant-based diet, and he has done so much over the years to promote veganism and eating a healthy, sustainable plant-based diet. Robert won the title of INBA Northwestern USA Natural Bodybuilding Overall Novice Champion in 2005 plays competitively in the 2006 Natural Bodybuilding World Championships and won his class in the 2009 Northwestern USA Natural Bodybuilding Championships. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Robert has written several books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Plant-Based Athlete, which was published in 2021, Plant-Based Muscle in 2017, Shred It in 2014, and Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness in 2010. During our chat, Robert walks us through his early life and reasons for why he first went vegan, how he bulked up over 100 pounds on a plant-based diet, the reasons people should want to go vegan, tips on getting the most out of your plant-based diet as an athlete, his favorite meals and restaurants, and so much more. Robert is very knowledgeable, experienced, and well-spoken, which makes him an exceptional advocate for veganism and a big inspiration for me personally when I first decided to go vegan in early 2016 and up to this day. I absolutely loved the discussion we had, and I'm sure you will too. So without further ado, on with the show. All right, what's up, guys? This is Ryan with Athix Fitness, and today I am here with Robert Cheek. Um, Robert Cheek is literally the godfather of vegan bodybuilding, I would say. Uh, He's the OG in the game here. (laughs) So, Robert, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on here, man. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, Pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me on and looking forward to uh, today's discussion. Yeah, me too. It's so exciting to hear uh, your point of view on everything here. Um, So do you want to do a quick little elevator pitch for like who you are, how long you've been vegan for, how long you've been into fitness for, stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been uh, I've been vegan since December 8th, 1995. I'm in my 28th year as a vegan athlete. I grew up on a farm and became vegan at age 15, weighing 120 pounds. I uh, was a runner and five-sport athlete and eventually got into the sport of bodybuilding where I put on 100 pounds uh, and reached uh, 220 pounds and became a multi-time champion vegan bodybuilder, have written uh, five, actually now six books uh, on the subject of veganism and most of those on vegan fitness and have been on tour for the past uh, 18 years or so. And I'm happy to be home today, but hitting the road again next week. So, uh, so yeah, I've, I've been at it for, um, I like to say, uh, I've been vegan since the late 1900s or I've vegan for more than a quarter of a century. Both of those are accurate and describe, uh, my lifestyle, uh, over the past nearly 30 years. That's amazing, man. You've been vegan for so long. Thir- oh, yeah. Almost 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Year 28 right now. And, uh, I just, Keep on keeping on, you know? Um, so 
I want to go back real quick to uh, kind of what got you into veganism in the first place. Because back then, no one was really going vegan, I feel like. I mean, that long ago, I feel like it was super... Like, I feel like the vegetarians back then was, like, the thing. And then veganism, from my perspective at least, was super, super rare, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I became vegan slightly before the internet. Uh, was mm-hmm. around for people to have at their house. You know, if you, mm-hmm. did, you weren't working in the technology industry, you probably didn't have the internet at that time mm-hmm. in 1995. And so, yeah, there weren't a lot of people doing it, but I got exposed to it uh, through my older sister who was organizing an animal rights week at my high school. And and so I decided out of respect for her that I would uh, attend this event of uh, presentations, lectures, video screenings, discussions, that type of thing. And I mean, it was that day, you know, the the day that it started, I decided I would be vegan for a week. And that's turned into, I haven't counted, but it's something like 13, 1400 weeks. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I just, I no longer wanted to contribute to animal suffering. I mean, I, I raised mm-hmm. animals on a farm that had first names, just like dogs or cats, but they were cows and they were chickens and they were rabbits and they were goats, and they were different animals. And I saw them as individuals and thought, you know what? What if I could do this as a five-sport athlete? Like, what if I could do this without eating animals, without causing Mm -hmm. unnecessary harm to animals? I wonder what that could do as far as inspiring other people to do the same and maybe have some sort of long-term impact on on animals and and reducing their suffering. And so that was my goal. Uh, from the onset was to, Mm -hmm. I guess, in a way, leverage my athletic abilities back then to reduce animal suffering. And I've I've been doing it, you know, 27 years now, and I'm still trying to to do the same, uh, to leverage Mm -hmm. some sort of athletic success or physical uh, achievement uh, on a plant-based diet to show that, you know, plants have all the protein you need, and we don't need to harm animals in order to achieve our, our various fitness endeavors and goals. And so that's what I'm committed to doing and what I uh, still continue to do these days. Yeah. And you're a walking emblem that it's possible, you know, and uh, going back to all the way back then, when you first went vegan, um, what did, what were your, what was your perspective on everything? Did you feel like you were not going to be able to maybe perform as well? Was it kind of like an experiment? What did you think? Yeah, that was something that I, I really came to terms with. I came mm-hmm. to terms with the with the idea that, you know, this might not work as well as eating animals. I, I grew up during the era of milk does a body good commercials and beef it's what's for dinner and coming from uh, parents who, who grew up in agriculture communities and grew up on farms and met in the agriculture, animal agriculture department at Oregon State University. And my father mm-hmm. being a professor of animal agriculture and my aunts and uncles having farms and you know, living in this environment that eating animals is necessary, eating animals is a requirement for health, eating animals is a a necessary component for building muscle and recovery after exercise and getting bigger and stronger. I mean, that was kind of what was taught to me. And so, and and I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was already this 200 pound guy, you know, Mm -hmm. football player who was just going to try to be compassionate for the animals. I mean, I was a small guy. I mean, I, I weighed 89 and a quarter pounds in eighth grade, barely over a hundred pounds my freshman year in high school. And then 120 pounds uh, partway through my sophomore year when I became vegan in December. 
And, and so I, I really had an uphill climb, especially if I was mm-hmm. going to prove my point, so to speak. If I was yeah. going to show people th- that this was viable, I was going to have to create some results. You know, this was, mm-hmm. I mean, this was kind of on me because there weren't a lot of people doing it. Internet's brand new. Uh, it wasn't co- being covered much in the media. Not a lot of my peers or teammates uh, in any of my sports were doing it. A, f- a few did to to kind mm-hmm. of join me in this endeavor and then in this experiment, so to speak. But it was really a perspective that I, I felt that I had quite a bit on my shoulders. Like I need to make this work mm-hmm. or else, you know, um, <laughs> or else at least in my small circle, it's going to show that it didn't mm-hmm. work. This was before I, you know, before I was uh, making a name for myself as a vegan athlete, of course, these were in the yeah. early years, still a teenager, still in high school, but I did have a lot of people watching you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was part of lots of sports teams and, and my all my classmates and I was writing uh, papers on animal rights and in uh, in classes. And it was very well known at that point uh, because I was I was fairly well known in school because I was involved in so many sports and in so many other mm-hmm. activities at school that that I was vegan and that this was mm-hmm. a new thing and that um, I had a responsibility, I felt, yeah. to the animals, to the movement to make it work. And so mm-hmm. I worked really hard to ensure that it would work. And mm-hmm. you know, I stumbled as far as uh, fi- discovering what to eat and, and making the right kind of progress. Um, I never wavered as far as like going back to eating animals, but I just wasn't mm-hmm. always eating the right types of food. Uh, yeah. You know, focus on a lot of, I guess what we'd call um, calorie rich and processed foods as uh, Jeff Novick mm-hmm. calls crap calorie rich and processed. And, uh, and that's, but that's also what a lot of teenagers eat. You know, mm-hmm. I was eating this calorie rich and processed foods, but without mm-hmm. animals in them. And so it wasn't until years later that I really discovered eating a, a bit of a healthier approach, you know, more produce, more fruits and vegetables, leafy greens, root vegetables, mm-hmm. legumes, and all of that. And as I got older, had more of my own financial resources, I was able to um, make my my nutrition program much more diversified and, yeah. and healthier. So, um, so that's how I started with that kind of, uh, I guess, personal pressure I put on myself to perform. And then, mm-hmm. luckily, uh, it, it all worked out. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I still feel that way today. You know, as a as a New York Times bestselling author and as an author of many books on this subject, that I still feel that responsibility that I've got to carry mm-hmm. that. You know, I wear veganism on my on my chest. You know, I wear it on my sleeves. I wear it around me. Um, I, I do feel this obligation to represent myself and the movement the best that I can. And so, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's incredible. So you you from the very start were into this all for the ethics for the animals, and that was really what drove you to all the success with everything. I think that's so cool to hear about because. That was what made you be like, I can't, like, I don't want to ever fail. Like, you know, before the internet, you're like, you know, your, your friends see you, you're, you're, uh, you're everyone you're at school with, and they knew you're a vegan, they knew you're an athlete, and, you know, you you wanted to be like an advocate from that early of a stage. I think that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that that's absolutely 100%. I mean, I, it's, for me, veganism has been, was, mm-hmm. and is uh, always for the animals. I mean, I think that's really mm-hmm. the, the only when you look at the definition of veganism, you know, to yeah. not cause unnecessary, unnecessarily harm and suffering to animals, mm-hmm. not exploit mm-hmm. animals, not, you know, use them for food or other in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
causing them harm and death and exploiting them, then, you know, really veganism for the animals is the only way to do it. Of course, you can mm. follow a plant-based diet for health or for the environment and all that. And that's great for animals too. But when you look at defining veganism and what that means to identify as such, then that means that I, you know, I'm going to live my lifestyle in a way that does not cause unnecessary harm and suffering to animals um, in, in a world where we don't need to do that in order to be successful and healthy and happy and yeah. all of that. So for me, it's always been about animals and I grew up around animals. Not that, mm -hmm. you know, most vegans did. Um, I don't think that's the case. I don't think most vegans probably spent 20 years living on a farm, but okay. because I have that background, uh, that always compels me, always motivates me, always inspires me and moves me to keep, you know, producing content, books or yeah. documentaries or articles or, or give presentations or do interviews or whatever the case is, because I know every single day, I mean, every second yeah. of every day that animal lives are being lost because of this, um, this, this factory farm food system that we that we have where 99.9% .9 of animal suffering comes from the, the food system. It's not from our shoes or our belts or our wallets or our purses or our jackets or our pillows, you know, or, or even um, testing on animals through experimentation, vivisection, hunting, things like that. Th those are all, those are all bad things, but 99.9% .9 of the total animal suffering comes explicitly from our food system and, and particularly from our factory farm food system. So mm -hmm. that's what we've got to address. And so that's what I've been trying to address um, throughout uh, my entire life that I've been doing this. So in the early days, mm -hmm. yeah, so I was, I was uh, in high school on the number uh, one uh, ranked soccer team in the state of Oregon on the number mm -hmm. two ranked cross country team in the state of Oregon. I was uh, as an endurance athlete primarily and then I did almost every single event in track and field uh, and won the Dan O'Brien award um, for, you know, being, I, I guess the, the most versatile athlete on the track and field team. Um, mm -hmm. I did other sports too, played basketball. I wrestled, uh, played tennis recreationally and uh, did some other sports. And I, mm -hmm. I was committed back then to uh, making that statement. Like you said, like, I, I don't want to fail for the animals mm -hmm. that I'm really trying to make a difference for the ones that I'm really trying to spare from this unnecessary suffering. Yeah. And then as I, as I got into bodybuilding and got into other forms of promotion of the vegan lifestyle, I was looking at, you know, what's, what's effective, you know, what's most effective to make the biggest difference. And yeah. it, obviously we've got to look at the food system. And so it's encouraging other people to, uh, to leave animals off their plate and by yeah. giving them viable solutions and viable options and, showing them examples of, of meal plans and foods and, and, and what to replace their calories with, because, yes. you know, we can do all kinds of things. We can use billboards, we can use um, signs and have commercials and all this stuff. But if we're not changing the food that people put in their mouths, then we're not making the difference that we want to see in the world. And so you, you've got to bring it back to food. And that's why mm -hmm. the, the, the fitness industry is so good because mm -hmm. That's that's an audience that goes out of their way to eat as much animal protein as possible, to mm. eat as many animals as possible, chicken breast, um, eggs, uh, fish, whatever it is, they, they, whey protein. They feel that they've got to eat as much as possible. And if you can show that audience, the audience that's going out of their way to eat animals, not people who are 
you know, uh, financially insecure and, and they've, they've just got to eat fast food because that's the only viable option for them, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is an unfortunate scenario in itself. And people who live in food deserts and don't have access to fresh produce and have to rely on, on things like pizza and burgers and chicken and those types of things, because that's the only thing in their neighborhood or that's the only thing they can afford. Yeah. But when you're looking at people within the fitness industry who, who, you know, control their own nutrition programs based on their own desires and goals of building muscle or burning fat or building their bodies. And you can show them by leading by example that, that you can do that without harming animals. Um, that makes a pretty big impact. And we've been able to see that for decades now, as people are inspired by plant-based athletes, by vegan athletes, and have gone on to adopt that way of living themselves or have greatly reduced their animal protein consumption. And, and that makes a big, a big impact on supply and demand of what's available in, mm-hmm. in, in the, you know, in the food system. And so right. that's where I think the conversation really needs to go uh, mm-hmm. as often as possible. Yeah. So you obviously excelled with your, uh, you know, your vegan endeavors from the very beginning. I mean, like, I know you said, like you had some slip ups here and there and it was a learning process, but you came as far as you have. So that's evidence right there that a plant-based diet is great for building muscle. I mean, you put on hundred pounds, so that's incredible. <laughs> and then we have all these examples of incredible plant-based athletes now, like Olympians and such, you know, it's like, you can't really deny at this stage that you can be incredibly successful as an athlete on a plant-based diet. You know, there's just so much evidence, especially considering veganism is still like, I mean, what, what, what are the numbers? Like 1% of the population still it's, it's super low, right? Yeah, it's still very, very early. I like to think of it as that yeah. is that um, you were still very, very early in this vegan movement. I mean, mm. there's been an animal rights movement for about 50 or 60 years and mm-hmm. more of the like vegan uh, kind of culturally accepted movement has been around for, you know, just 30 years or something like that. Yeah. And and even yeah. for a shorter amount of time, if you look at uh, people using the Internet and leveraging social media and all of that, yeah. I mean, social media didn't really come around till. I don't know, 20 years ago or so with uh, mm-hmm. MySpace and platforms like that and Facebook, uh, you know, eventually, you know, 18 years ago or something along those lines. So yeah. it's still very, very early. And yeah, we've got maybe three to 6% of the US population identifying as vegans and probably about 2% worldwide. Um, and it's a long road ahead. Uh, there's no doubt yeah. about it, but we're making some tremendous progress as far as number of people who identify as vegan, somewhere around 75 million worldwide right now, which I hope to be uh, north of 100 million soon. And in the, in the next, I don't know, year or two, as it's, it seems to be growing at a pretty rapid pace right now. And so you're right. People like uh, Olympic athletes, and I interviewed a bunch of them in um, my New York Times bestseller, The Plant-Based Athlete. I interviewed something like 50 or 60 world-class vegan athletes and about a dozen of them were Olympic athletes and some are gold medalists and world champions and even Guinness world record holders, uh, Guinness book world record holders. And yeah, there's still plenty of successful Olympic athletes who are not vegan, but what it does show Ryan is that yes, you can do it too. You know, just like when I became a champion bodybuilder, I wasn't eating animals, but it was to show, yes, you can do it too. You know, anything you can do, I can do vegan. And so Mm -hmm. when we have people who set endurance records or set strength records or win bodybuilding championships or powerlifting championships or whatever the endeavor is, Mm -hmm. it it does 
plant that seed and show that example that you can do this. And there's lots of different ways to achieve this outcome. And this yeah. is one compassionate way where animals don't need to suffer in order for you to achieve uh, whatever athletic success you're striving for. And so 100%. that's right. That's I think examples are important. Yeah. And uh, just to go back to that point real quick, it's like, you know, you think about the insane, um, you know, bodybuilding and, and all these sports are already very niche to be at the very top. And you have um, already the super small percentage of people that are vegan worldwide, like you said. So you take that and you take how niche some, you know, all these things are together. And you it's just ins so inspiring to see these plant-based athletes, you know, excelling because it's such a small population and they're doing so well in these sports. So it goes to show right there that there's no detriment and there's quite possibly a lot of benefits for being plant-based, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. There's only uh, like, let's, let's take the, the NBA, for example, National Basketball mm -hmm. Association. There's, I don't know, five or six NBA players that I can, you know, count on my hand right now. Chris Paul being one, JaVale McGee being another, DeAndre Jordan, Garrett Temple. Um, I know Kyrie Irving was for a while. I don't think he is anymore. Um, a number of them are retired now, Alonzo Mourning, John Sally, and others. And, and there's a few others that um, uh, I think Omeka Okafor, um, there's, a, there's a number of them throughout the NBA. But we're talking like five athletes out of the entire National Basketball Association, which has about 12 players on each team, 30 teams. So whatever the math is, 300 and something players, if I'm doing the math right, uh, or more. And you, you only get you only get a handful that are plant based. Yet some of these guys are still all stars, who are still winning NBA championships, who are still, um, in some cases, setting records. Like Javale McGee, you know, twelve blocks in a single game. I talked to him about that at the Game Changers premiere. Um, talked to Chris Paul, you know, um, <laughs> who was already a great player, but his career was on the decline. He became plant-based, I believe, 2019. I talked to him about it briefly in person. Then I wrote about him a little bit in one of my books. And then all of a sudden he was he was an all-star again, back-to-back -back years. And his, he was playing the best basketball of his entire career, made it to the NBA finals, um, nearly uh, was a finalist for MVP of the all-star game. This is all anecdotal stuff, but it's still mm -hmm. exciting to see because the population is so small of vegan athletes. I mean, when you talk about vegans, it's small athletes, it's small, these exactly. niche sports like Olympic sports, uh, very small. And then you, you, you know, you have these individuals who are vegan on top of all of that being in these niche sports and the fact that they are setting records and they are winning world championships and they are winning Olympic medals. And then you say, wow, like imagine if more people were vegan doing this, you get, a, I mean, you just get so many more medals and so many more titles and so many more championships and then you'd have a, a stronger case that mm -hmm. look at all these people that are doing it. Like um, we've seen a few sports who really where athletes really are drawn toward a plant-based athlete, uh, sorry, a plant-based diet, like um, boxing for a while, mixed martial mm -hmm. arts for a while, long distance running. Um, lately, it seems like bodybuilding and powerlifting. You find yourself uh, with many, many plant-based athletes who are um, excelling in those sports. So, mm -hmm. um, so the examples are out there and many, many more to come. And that's, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the excitement of, of doing these things like writing books or going on tour or connecting with various people and, uh, and showing them that they can do this in a really effective way 
It's good for their health. It's good for the environment. It's good for animals. Um, mm -hmm. It's good for reducing suffering. It's good for embracing compassion. It's good for expediting recovery after exercise, reducing inflammation, mm -hmm. increasing energy, um, uh, improving longevity, um, reducing risk of all-cause mortality by following a, a, a healthy, uh, diverse, and varied plant-based diet. I mean, there's so many, there's so many benefits um, especially to animals and to the planet that, um, that it makes sense that more people give it a try. And, and hopefully, uh, with initiatives like Veganuary and, um, with the work being done by Earthling Ed and so many others that, mm -hmm. uh, we are reaching a lot of people who are giving it a try. And, yeah. and that's why, you know, I'm still continuing to tour, uh, to all kinds of events, including to mainstream fitness expos like the Arnold, uh, like the Olympia, like the LA mm -hmm. fit expo and meet with, thousands and thousands of non-vegan mainstream athletes with our entire team of, of vegan athletes uh, and distributing plant-based products to them and showing them protein charts and high protein plant-based foods and giving them resources and signing books for them and leading by example as like champion athletes who you know walk the talk and and mm -hmm. live that lifestyle and so uh so I, I I'm optimistic that there's a bright future ahead, but it's, yeah. um, it's going to take all of us working together cohesively to, um, to make that happen. So yeah. we got to keep on rolling. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep on rolling, man. <laughs> um, so there's been so many, um, plant-based food options and such popping up over the past, like, I don't know, even five years or so, but like, it feels like every single year there's more and more, um, you know, like I should say animal product alternatives, you know, there's like, you got all your Miyoku's cheeses and everything. You got like all these new uh, brands uh, or types of, I guess, specific foods from like Daya and like Earth Balance and like, you know, you got Beyond, Impossible, all that stuff. So it seems like everyone nowadays is eating some sort of plant-based alternative here and there. Like omnivores, like crazy uh, people who just eat tons of meat too. They're like open to uh, trying some of these alternatives, which I think is really cool. Um that makes me wonder about how different options were for you from when you first went vegan versus now. And has your diet changed during that time at all, given all that? Yeah, it's completely different, Ryan. I mean, back in 1995, there were, there were very few meat alternatives. Eve's Veggie mm -hmm. Cuisine was one. Tofurky was another. Um, maybe Life was around. They probably were. But there were just a few. I mean, this was a decade or more um, before Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods or Dea or you know Miyoko's or many of those others. And th this mm -hmm. was this was old school uh, when it came to like non-dairy beverages or dairy-free alternatives. There was you know this like translucent rice milk, um, uh, hemp milk, uh, soy milk soy. from yeah. just a handful of brands. You know. Yeah, mostly I had to buy this stuff at natural foods, grocery stores, um, mm -hmm. cooperative grocery stores, health food stores. Um, it was hard. It was kind of hard to find and sales were probably pretty low and mm -hmm. it wasn't being embraced by the mainstream. It was mostly the vegetarian hippies, the vegans, the health food warriors and all that. Yeah. And you fast forward to 2021, um, you know, $2.6 billion in, in, uh, in, in plant-based milk sales in the U.S. alone, $1.4 billion in plant-based meat sales in the U.S. Mm -hmm. alone. And keep in mind, 
the U.S. is just one market. I mean, this plant-based food market is huge in the U.K. and yeah. Germany and in many other parts of the world. It's it, it's it's massive in some of those other um, uh, progressive and um, highly advanced uh, countries that have embraced plant-based and alternative proteins, you know, for a long time. And so uh, we're just one market, of course, um, Canada, Australia, uh, many other places um, have been, you know, very, very vegan friendly in, in a lot of ways for, for quite a while. Right. And I've been to those countries and been to some of their major cities in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide and uh, Toronto, Vancouver, et cetera. And, uh, and they're fantastic. Um, and you look at places like Southeast Asia, you know, the most vegan friendly places in the entire world are, um, are Indonesia and Thailand, uh, many mm -hmm. vegan festivals in Thailand, um, uh, Chiang Mai, when I was walking around and using my happy cow app, there were like literally like a hundred vegan restaurants or vegan friendly restaurants within walking distance, just in one mm -hmm. city in Northern Thailand. I mean, it's, they even have like week long vegan festivals, uh, massive ones in Phuket and other cities. Uh, and then, oh, wow. and then, and then in Bali, in Indonesia, particularly the town of Ubud, which has been named the most vegan-friendly city um, in the world, or at least as, as far as um, most vegan restaurants per capita, I should say. There are other vegan-friendly cities in the world based on other aspects, like their activism, their animal rights communities, not just the food, but like mm -hmm. you know how active the community is. And those are places like London and Berlin, Tel Aviv, uh, Los Angeles, New York City, places like that. But yeah, the point is, Back then, yeah, we didn't have the vegan cheeses and pizzas and ice creams and all that that were like that were really good. We we some of those things existed, but not to the point that the mainstream consumer would be enamored by them, would be impressed by them, or would want to include sure. them into their their lifestyle. It was more like you know, there's this idea of the, the the green premium, you know, like when people are early adopters. Uh, yeah. to, to anything, but they like, they don't care about paying a higher premium price or being inconvenienced like um, mm -hmm. electric vehicles or renewable energy or, uh, or, or plant-based meats, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I go down the street and I've got a, you know, plant-based burger for $15, you know, mm -hmm. at the restaurant down the street. Um, whereas I could go to any fast food restaurant and, and get, uh, you know, a, a chicken sandwich or burger for $2. But mm -hmm. because I accept the green premium. I accept that I'm going to invest in the future that I want to see. Yeah, I'm going to have to pay for this ten or twelve or fifteen dollar plant based burger. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate <laughs> that I'm able to do that. Not everyone is. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, the 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 food system has changed significantly, and um, as soon as we can bring those prices down, where uh, they do appeal to the mainstream audience, where you don't have to pay ten to fifteen dollars for a plant-based burger. You can get it for two or three dollars. Um, yeah. That's when we're going to see some sort of major shift. It's really yeah. going to come down at the end of the day. It's going to come down to taste, price, and convenience. And mm -hmm. when those things are available for alternative proteins and for plant-based foods, then I think absolutely we're going to get mainstream consumers on board because it's not that people want to cause animal suffering they just they're not mm -hmm. like they're salivating they can't wait for another animal to have their throat slit it's just not the thought process it's just mm -hmm. that's what's tasty that's what's cheap and that's what's convenient, convenient. And that's what they've, they've had their entire lives you know mm -hmm. they don't look at chicken as, as as an animal you know they took the s off instead of seeing chickens plural as animals they see a food product 
you know, we mm-hmm. don't say, are you, you know, enjoying your cow? You know, we call it beef or we call it something else. Um, so yeah. we, we have a different name um, for the, and we don't say I'm eating my, you know, baby sheep today. I mean, we call it lamb yeah. or whatever the case is. So uh, we've, we've really got, we've made some tremendous progress, but we've really got to get to a point where taste, cost, and convenience are on par with animal-based foods. When we do that, I, I really believe we're going to see some significant shift in the way that people uh, consume food. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's um, some really good stuff you touched on. Um, and from my experience, we are starting to see a little bit of those uh, dip in some of those plant-based alternatives because like, I'm just thinking right off the top of my head. Um, you know, I, I lived in New York City for a long time, still kind of do on the outskirts, but um, there's a place there called Grilled and uh, their whole thing is making uh, plant-based food super accessible. So they have a little tiny storefront. They sell Beyond Burgers, like these little tiny baby Beyond Burgers, but still for like four, four or five bucks. And, um, you know, it makes it really accessible to the general public because it's just right there near a park. And um, it's also like mixed in with some lower income community here and there. So, you know, people see that and they find it really appealing. That's that's a really good point. And, um, you know, with like the advent of a lot of, uh, I mean, even like lab grown meat, you know, there seems like a lot of potential where that could get super cheap. Right. And I mean, so it seems like it might be more ethical. So I think yeah. that's a great point. But yeah, it's um as long as people start seeing these prices go down, taste is still good. There's going to be a ton of people flocking to it. Well, that, that's the goal. I mean, you mentioned that place, which is great. I'm glad to hear it. That that has the the location there with the low price and all that. But yeah. we've got to do is compete with uh, you know McDonald's and Subway with, that have eighty thousand mm-hmm. locations combined, rather than one location or two or you know three that kind of thing. We're looking at Subway with something like forty something thousand locations, McDonald's thirty eight or so thousand locations, uh, as being the two biggest fast food restaurants mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, Starbucks, KFC, uh, Burger King, um, kind of are the next the next three there. Um, mm-hmm. Although uh, Starbucks doesn't like to be referred to as fast food restaurant, but uh, but they're they're up there as number three as far as most locations and and who knows probably you know uh, profitability and and sales as well. Sure. And those That's are very crazy. profitable companies too. I mean um, something like oh McDonald's does something like thirty billion in sales if I recall correctly. I quoted it in my book, um, and about half of that crazy. is profit. And so it's, I mean, it's very significantly profitable. And so uh, luckily we are seeing like the impossible Whopper at Burger King, which has done very, very mm-hmm. well. And in fact, there are even some 100% all vegan Burger King locations in Europe. You've probably heard about that. They're in um, a variety London, of countries right? now. What's that? There's one in, there, there's some in London, right? I thought that was- I, I think so, but also in, in some other countries as well. Okay. And I don't know if it's Austria- or Portugal or wherever it is. I'd have to look it up. I even posted yeah. about it online. Um, maybe it's in Germany. Um, there's a few you of those European so countries ahead. where um, where plant-based is the default. If you want it like altered yeah. in any kind of way, you've got to like request that. So in some Burger Kings, it's already default plant-based in some locations in Europe. And some are actually, yes, 100% vegan. I think maybe it's Spain. Maybe it's in Spain. Um, yeah. we'll, ha- we'll have to look it up, put it in the show notes. But uh <laughs> Anyway, um, we we are making some really good progress there. And I think alternative protein, um, cell-based animal agriculture, cellular meat Mm -hmm. is going to have to be the future because this is a point I make in my latest book uh, that I just finished writing, but it's not out yet. It won't be out Mm -hmm. until 2024. But the argument that I make is that 
we've had a passionate animal rights movement for five or six decades now. Mm-hmm. And where are we at? Two percent of the of the global population uh, who identifies as vegan um, and you know abstaining from eating animals. Like it just hasn't worked. Uh, yeah. We've had all of our um, black bean burgers and quinoa burgers and vegetarian food and all these alternatives and trying to get people to like just stop eating meat and eat quinoa right. and beans and tofu and all this stuff instead. And it's not happening. It's 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 mm. it's not. Uh, and that's why plant based meat sales are so high, even if they've dipped a little bit post pandemic, they're, they're still exponentially higher than they've ever been. They're in the billions of dollars, but people might point to like, yeah, but beyond meat stock is going down or whatever. Who cares that that doesn't, that doesn't reflect It's one company that doesn't reflect the whole movement. It doesn't even reflect the whole plant-based market. They actually, they actually make up something like 2% of the entire plant-based meat market. They're just very, very popular. But they're they're far behind sales from companies like Boca, you know, which is by Kraft, I believe, or Morningstar Farms, which is I don't know Kraft or Nestle or somebody. They're, they're yeah. way behind. They're just very popular. They're like the uh, they're kind of like the mm-hmm. Apple, you know, when when Apple products were becoming um, really popular when they were kind of okay. more hip and cool than Microsoft, um, and then they eventually Apple did get really really big, and Beyond Meat could someday. But they're they're relatively small, even if they're in something like what is it, sixty or eighty thousand locations in 40, 40 or fifty countries and all this kind of stuff. They're 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 mm-hmm. one company and they're you know they're they're doing their thing. So sales are still very, very good, even if we're yeah. comparing it to um share stock shareholder expectations, which is you know, um, arbitrary to some degree, as far as a, re- a reflection of what the consumer is actually doing. What the consumer yeah. is doing is buying billions of dollars worth of plant-based meats. And plant-based meats might not even be the future. It's probably going to be cellular-based meat, which is basically meat fr- made from animal cells that requires zero animal suffering and cruelty. There's no slaughter involved. It's it's taking mm-hmm. cells and growing them into into real meat. Um, and that's that's already on the menu in, in Singapore and has been for years. You can eat cellular-based, cruelty-free meat in Singapore. You probably saw I just got approved. Um, multiple levels uh, just got approved in the U.S. Um, by the yeah. FDA, including the huge announcements last week, um, which are uh, just a few months behind announcements they made in December of 2022. Whereas, if, if I'm not mistaken, and I've had a few experts tell me when I was writing my latest book that that cellular meat will very likely be available in the U S this year in 2023. I mean, I didn't think it was coming until 2024 or 2025. I've heard that it might be available, you know, for sale um, Mm -hmm. and retail shops here in in the United States later this year, which is pretty phenomenal. And so, um, I mean, that, that is going to be the future. There's, there's some people who have this like, uh, you know, grossed out perspective, you know, mainstream consumer, I don't want to eat something from cells. Yet they have, for the most part, no idea how their food is made. They have no 100%. idea the types of maybe antibiotics or steroids or other things that are fed to animals to grow them as big as possible. I mean, chickens mm-hmm. who are uh, genetically modified to grow as big and fast as possible, only to be killed six weeks later when they can bear, when their legs can barely hold up the weight of their bodies. Um, or 
or cows that are bred to grow as fast and be as big and heavy and, and, and muscle filled as possible to produce as much meat as possible. Uh, and then obviously the harvesting, the slaughter and, and harvesting of those animals. Uh, most people have no idea uh, what's involved in that process. Um, yet they're intimidated by something that was made from some cells extracted in order to produce the same end product that doesn't have all the suffering involved and not to mention all the incredible resources of land of water of farmed yes. labor of transportation of refrigeration of freezing and uh, uh, you know plastic transport all this kind of stuff all the fossil fuels to transport live animals dead animals all the farming all the feed all the supplements um, mm -hmm. all the all the grains the soybeans all the things grown um, to feed animals that we could uh, feed ourselves and try to alleviate the 800 million people worldwide who are starving and the 2 billion people who are malnourished uh, because they don't have access to proper calories of, of healthy foods. Uh, we can change yeah. a lot of that uh, through something like as, as I don't want to say basic or simple, but as a, as, as palatable as cellular meat, which is mm -hmm. going back to my original point uh, is that people are, are just not going to stop eating meat. We've tried yeah. and tried and tried. Um, yeah. Every message we can imagine of of compassion or health or environment, people don't care. They like the taste of meat. They feel like they've done something in their lives um, to be at the top of the food chain and want to take credit for that. And mm -hmm. they want access to whatever they want. They feel an entitlement. I can eat any animal that I want because that's what I've been um, bestowed with uh, because I'm a, I'm a human at the top of the food chain. And mm -hmm. look what my ancestors did and look how grateful I am for this position that I'm in. And I'm going to eat, you know, in the, the entire Noah's Ark, if I could, um, okay. we need to change that. Uh, you know, uh, I wish we could change that mindset, but mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. we can't, or at least we haven't in more than half a century, and there's no sign that people are leaning, leaning more towards that way of compassion that we simply, as Bruce Friedrich from the Good Food Institute says, we simply have to change the way meat is made. And that's yeah. that's what you do. And, and and Beyond Meat said that too. Ethan Brown said, one of their slogans was, we, we're going to change the way America meets. Um, and uh, kind of their play on words there, you know, changing the way America <laughs> eats, but changing the way America meets. And, and that's what we have to do. We have got to create meat for people that is cruelty-free, and um, that satisfies their desire to eat what they want to eat. Um, yeah. So I think you, uh, yeah, you, you, that was incredible. You summed all that up so well. Um, I think that's such a good point that really stuck out there is that, you know, there's this backlash against, you know, a lot of innovative movements sometimes, one of which being cell-based meat right now. And a lot of these people who are eating meat, they simply don't understand how, crazy you know these genetic modifications that have happened to these chickens these cows over the years where like yeah like you said you know they're bred to they can't fly they can't um barely move because they are just you know genetically altered to be so heavy and you know fed like crazy too to get as big as possible as quickly as possible and people don't think about that they don't think about the food being fed to these chickens or cows or whatever um and then on top of all that you know like the amount of um space like you said that cell-based meat can save the amount of uh water the amount of food because you know animals are middleman 
it's huge. So it's huge for morally for the animals, of course, first and foremost, and then also environmentally, which should be at the top of everyone's radar. That's vegan or not, you know, in my opinion, I think that's super important. So you touched on everything right there. I think that was an amazing summary. <laughs> well, thanks, Ryan. One more thing to add. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to add, but one is the efficiency aspect. I mean, you probably, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head that they're quoted all over the place. Something along the lines of the, the, the amount of food that we feed to animals mm-hmm. to then be turned, be turned into, uh, you know, digestible, usable calories, you know, mm-hmm. on, as far as an end product, because you're talking about feeding animals for weeks and months out of their lives. You know, chickens are only six weeks or so, but turkeys a little bit longer, pigs longer, yeah. cows longer. We're talking like some animals we might be feeding and watering them for a year, you know, before they reach market weight for the larger animals and the amount of calories that they've got to be fed of corn and soybeans and grain and other crops in order to then convert that into muscle that then we, you know, slaughter them and, and, and clean them and, and then, you know, package and turn into usable calories for human consumption. Mm-hmm. It is is incredibly inefficient, and I I can't. I just saw the numbers the other day, and I I should have these committed to memory or like on a <laughs> you know on a like you know tape to my wall um, for when I'm doing interviews and such. But it's so I don't want to misquote um, the real stats, but um, but basically, it's it's something like just a mere fraction of the calories mm-hmm. that could have been used for human consumption. Uh, could have been used in so many other ways that we actually get as far as usable calories from these animals after they've consumed and consumed. And we're talking the larger animals are are much bigger than us. You know, cows, yeah. pigs, uh, uh, they're way bigger. They're way bigger than us. Um, I, in fact, I was just at Farm Sanctuary uh, two weeks ago out in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and there was yeah, yeah. a cow there that was about 2,500 pounds. I mean, I'm, I feel pretty good Jeez. at like 205, you know? Um, but I'm certainly 205 is nothing like 2,500. Um, and many of the, and many animals are in the 2000 pound range or pigs, 500 yeah. pounds, 600 pounds, 800 pounds. I mean, we're talking like serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking serious amount of food that yeah. we've got to take away from humans, including some poor areas where they could really use that food. Um, to then ship it out in other parts of the world. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of crops from some poor countries and then using it here to fatten up animals in the US or in the Western world to then sell mm-hmm. meat products, uh, meat and other animal byproducts here to consumers where so, so many other economies and populations are left uh, starving, literally, um, in, in yeah. many other p- parts of the develop, developing world on many different continents. And even right here, you know, in our, in, in, you know, at least where I live, you know, in, in, um, here in the U S um, I'm kind of out here in uh farming country. I'm out in Colorado and, you know, mm-hmm. right, right next to me is uh, Nebraska and Kansas and mm-hmm. Iowa and New Mexico and Texas and all these very nearby States. And uh, there, there's so much land and so many crops that could go to more effectively feed people and 100%. and we don't and we have to recognize you know i said there's so many other things to cover the the efficiency aspect is one but also just recognizing that it's no way 
to go through life, to be in a, in a factory farm, you know, to mm. be crammed into conditions where you're talking tens or even hundreds of thousands of birds in a single barn where you can't, as you mentioned, you can't even spread your wings. You can't turn around um, these gestation crates for sows where they literally can't move. They just lie there their entire lives. They just lie there in these metal containers. Um, baby calves are taken from their mothers and, and put in veal crates. I've seen those out in, you know, in various places, including when I used to go visit relatives in um, in Nevada and walk by these or jog by or whatever I was, you know, exercising, um, going down the street. And there are all these little veal calves one by one tied up to their own little yeah. tiny barn. And then they're going to be killed as calves, you know, at only mm-hmm. weeks old, maybe two, two months or so, two or three months old to be some sort of delicacy uh, meat on a menu, but, um, but there's, there's so many other ways we can use this land and, um, and just so many ways for us, if we can just pause and reflect for a minute on just how awful these lives are. I mean, babies taken from their mothers, uh, the day they're born, uh, male chicks being killed literally the day they're born, because they're not going to be able to lay eggs. They're just suffocated or, or um, blended up or discarded in garbage bags. I mean, the day that they're born, or I guess when you have to, when you measure suffering, even worse would be to stay alive for six weeks um, as a baby calf in isolation um, only to then just be killed, you know, and, and with a, I don't know um, whether the slitting of the throat or a stun gun or some other horrific way to to die like this that's that's no way to live and that's and and that's one of the compelling reasons that uh, that i still do this all these years later is that i know the suffering that animals go through and if i can change the way people look at food and change the way people look at meat and change the menus and meal plans they follow that that makes a real measurable difference especially when you look at supply and demand of the food marketplace Um, when the demand changes, the supply changes and we're already seeing that happening. I mean, look at plant-based milk is the biggest category. I mean, dairy milk sales are on the absolute decline in the U S you mentioned some prices going down Um, uh, just egg, the vegan egg product. There's many vegan eggs, but just egg is probably the most famous one. Kind of like beyond meat is most famous, perhaps plant-based meat. Just egg just had a 42% drop in price. And they're also Whoa. one of the fastest growing egg companies in America right now. Now, granted, their their uh their spot at the table or their their um their slice of the pie is very small. They make up mm-hmm. a very small percentage of total egg sales, but the fact that they are currently right now the second or third fastest growing egg company in the entire country is very, very promising. And the fact that their prices were cut almost in half while, while mm-hmm. conven- conventional chicken egg prices are going up because of all the avian yeah. flu, they're, they're killing millions right. of chickens. It makes sense that you switch over to a cholesterol-free plant-based egg. You, it still tastes the same, the same texture, all the comforts that you like about eggs, but without all the torture that's involved in, in absolutely cruel conditions that egg-laying hens are in some of the most abused animals um, in the entire world. And and yeah. just understanding the alternatives are there and, um, and, and make it a different choice. You know, that, that's really all we have to do is recognize yeah. it, make a different choice. And that changes the entire world for another individual that, that maybe spares or saves an animal their entire life is changed now because of a decision mm-hmm. that you make.
for what you got to put on your sandwich. Do you think that the general public understands how unethical these practices are? And um, if they do, why do you think they, you know, don't choose to go vegan? And even even further than that, why do you think there's this hate for veganism, you know? Yeah, those are all really tough um, to answer. And I I tried to answer those in my my latest book that, again, doesn't mm-hmm. come out for quite a while, uh, more than a year from now, um, June or July of 2024 where I do talk a lot about ethics and moral consistency and absolutism, veganism, animal rights, what drives our decision-making to answer your first question. It's hard to say, but I would say probably no, most people don't know the extreme conditions that animals go through in order to be turned into food. Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, most people just don't understand that. They just see food as food. They don't think about where it comes from. In fact, some people think like, you know, um, chocolate milk comes from brown cows or something like that. Um, Oh God, that's bad. But, but this is really what people, what people believe. Um, They, they believe all types of different things. Uh, And then they, but they also believe that things like eating meat is natural, you know, that they're, that it's, that it's their, uh, that they've been given permission, you know, through books, through James. to, to do that, um, like the Bible, for example, or something like that, they, yeah, they, sure. they feel an entitlement or they, they naturally, they honestly, wholeheartedly, they believe it with their soul that it's good for them. Mm-hmm. In fact, my parents were the same. They're very well educated. My dad's a PhD college professor of, of, of nutrition, actually, or animal nutrition. And he and my mom were, were so worried that I wasn't going to get adequate nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on a, on a, you know, with, without eating animals, like th- there's a, there's a legitimate concern. So to answer your first question, I don't think people fully understand the ramifications of their actions and how much animal suffering and torture is involved in that, particularly because we're not getting meat, milk, and eggs from backyard family farms. This is, that's, just not happening. That's like 0. you know, zero one percent of of the, you know, the, the American production it, it's, or global yeah. production, probably it's, it's all from these highly efficient factory farms. And that is where this, this food comes from, from mm-hmm. incredibly disgusting uh, practices that are horrific for the individuals who are suffering. Number two, if they knew, would they change? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think so. I think you'd like to think so. I think a lot of us who are vegan or identify as vegan or compassionate would like to think so. But the reality is from some of the things that I've seen, read, heard, surveys, studies, statistics, interviews, the things that I was looking into with my latest book is that that might not be the case, that, that people just don't care. Um, hmm. I remember interviewing Paul Shapiro, a longtime vegan, even longer than me, almost 30 years for him. And he runs hmm. the uh, Better Meat Company um, who makes um, like uh, alternative proteins out of um, uh, fungus. Uh, it's very, very popular. Hmm. It's this fermented yeah. mushroom processed Riza or Riza, something along those lines. Um, it's very, very popular. It's, it's saved hundreds of thousands of animals, spared hundreds of thousands of animals or millions from being used in the food system. It's a very successful company. 
and and he's also a very successful advocate for veganism. He's been doing it for a long time and doing it very intelligently for a long time. And he and he had a quote in my new book that's something along the lines of that we that that we think that if if only you know if only people understood what goes on behind closed doors or if there were glass mm-hmm. walls you know that whole that famous quote if there were if slaughterhouses had glass walls we'd all be vegetarians mm-hmm. but he's not convinced that's the case and i'm not so convinced that's the case either there's seems to be a lot of apathy um especially in today's society where suffering and pain are something that you know we just turn our backs to because it happens all the time. Everybody's suffering. Everyone's in pain. Um, humans, not non-humans alike. There's just so much of it. We see it all over uh, the internet, social media. Um, I interviewed a graduate student at Colorado State University, a young woman, probably early 20s, maybe mid 20s. And I interviewed her for my latest book. Um, she does happen to be vegan, but uh I met her while doing some activism, actually doing some street activism. I was testing out some different methods and monitoring those and, and <laughs> seeing what's effective, what's not. And she found it to be highly ineffective. Um, what I was participating in at that particular time, which was showing graphic uh, video content or factory farming sure. and animal slaughter and suffering and all of that. And like she anonymous, said, anonymous for the voiceless. Yeah. Person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was just, I was there just kind of observing, you know, it's not an yeah. organization that I'm part of in any capacity. I was simply observing and taking notes and, sure, you know, trying to write the best vegan book that I possibly could write about how to most effectively reduce animal suffering. Yeah. And through my observations, it seemed to be highly ineffective. Um, at oh. least the, the multiple times that I was there with Anonymous for the Voiceless, it just, it wasn't very effective vegan advocacy or outreach compared to so many other things like what we do on our vegan strong tour getting plant-based products into the hands of fitness consumers leading by positive example showing plant-based muscle and you know living by example that way providing books and other materials protein charts all this stuff is just just statistically far more effective at changing someone's diet and so but but her comment the point of this this kind of side story was that she was basically saying you know, I'm, I'm quite a bit older. I'm, you know, 43. She's probably nearly 20 years younger. And she mm-hmm. basically said, Robert, you know, my generation, college students are, are desensitized to this stuff. We see suffering, including murder or death on our newsfeed every day, whether it's a person being shot mm-hmm. or killed or um, mm-hmm. footage of animals being killed or whatever. We just scroll right past it. So you stand, you know, standing out here holding, holding videos uh, you know, mm-hmm. holding TV screens with videos of animal suffering, who cares? Like, it's not going to change the way people eat or live. They see it every day. It's it's not effective anymore. And then we oh, met wow. up and, and chatted for hours as I interviewed her for the book in a more formal capacity, just mm-hmm. meeting up at a coffee shop and chatting and this kind of stuff. Um, and I was, I was relatively convinced from mm-hmm. her first person perspectives that, you know, I'm not a 23 year old or 24, 25 year old or an 18 year old or 19 year old. I, I didn't grow up my entire life from the day I was born with, with uh, smartphones and social media, which many people now in their twenties have mm-hmm. done from the day they were born. Social media was there in the early two thousands. And so uh, that was, a, that was a, I think a, a enlightening perspective because it, it speaks to the fact that to answer your question, if people knew, would they change their behavior? 
I'm not so sure. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's going to be taste, cost, and inconvenience that drives people. Another point really quickly, Ryan, um, yes. numerous people I interviewed, I mean, some great, incredible people for this new book. I mean, the list is mm-hmm. unbelievable, whether it's Paul Shapiro or Bruce Friedrich or Vicky Bond, the president of the, of the Humane League or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, highly influential people, Joanne Molinaro, you know, the Korean vegan, New York Times bestselling author and Carly Bodrug and longtime activists and, you know, Gene Bauer from Farm Sanctuary and you name it. I mean, these mm-hmm. just incredible people. Um, it came up, um, it came up multiple times. Make sure I don't lose my, <laughs> lose my train of thought here. Lose my point. Hold on. Let me see, I get, let me see the point I wanted to make. Um, we're talking about if people knew they would change their behavior. Oh yeah. Here's it. Here's it is. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> I was list. I was trying to think of all these incredible names and I almost lost my point, which was, yeah. we think that because we believe this, right? We're, we're vegan. We we think that our food should be based on uh, our decisions should be ma- based on animals, health, and the environment. This trifecta. We're we're always mm-hmm. pitching that. I mean, I even said it during this interview today. Like it's if we just go plant based, that's good for animals. That's good for the planet. That, that you know, that's good for our health. We talk mm-hmm. about this all day long, but that's not at all what factors. Uh, in why the mainstream public chooses mm. what they eat. In fact, it's not even close. They do not think about animals. They do not think about the environment. They do not think about their personal health. Those things are mm-hmm. not why they eat what they eat. Why do they eat what they eat? Because of tradition, because of culture, because of environment, because of what they've grown up eating, because of food addiction, because of mm-hmm. all these different things. But ultimately, along with those, it's taste, cost, and convenience. That's mm-hmm. why we eat what we eat. And so um, we have to understand that. What I'm saying is, as vegan advocates, activists, enthusiasts, supporters, whatever, we have mm-hmm. to recognize that certain types of activism and outreach are less effective than others. Certain talking points are less effective than others. And the way that we view the world is not the way that our audience views the world. They do not care about about their own their own health or health outcomes of eating a certain meal. Like, what's this going to do for my, you know, my? What will this do to my arteries inside? We think about that. Like, oh yeah, good. Now my endothelial cells are protected, or I don't have the the plaque buildup, you know, and I yeah. I reduce my dietary cholesterol intake. <laughs> it's only vegan people who really care about that stuff. Um, and they don't care about the animals. They don't care about the environment. Look how big the environment is. How is me eating a sandwich going to, you know, impact that? That's the mentality. Mm -hmm. And so you can't Mm -hmm. talk about that kind of stuff with people. It's not the graphic footage isn't going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of things that aren't going to work anymore. What is going to work is embracing alternative proteins, embracing plant-based proteins, embracing the fact that people are going to eat meat and we just need to make meat more sustainable and making it animal free um, or or cruelty free. Mm -hmm. Uh, just to clarify, because the the uh, cell you cell based meat will still be animal meat, which has its own ethical dilemmas. Because many of us know that heart disease is still the number one killer in America, yeah. and these cellular meat products will still absolutely contribute to that. They'll still contribute to dietary cholesterol intake. They'll still contribute to all the other health implications, uh, contributing to perhaps diabetes, hypertension, um, obesity, all the things that that meat and animal protein is associated with, that's all going to be the same. What we're Mm -hmm. saying is that 
at least it won't cause billions and billions of animals to suffer the the worst type of suffering that you can imagine. And that is important. And that is something to uh, to embrace, I think, that animals will have a much better life. The environment should get cleaned up a bit using fewer resources. And yeah, if you still want to have your your health problems as a result of cellular meat, fine, or mix it up plant-based meat and cellular meat. So you get the cholesterol free option, the lower fat option, the one that won't clog your arteries as much. And then a little bit of the one that does. Um, but that's an ethical decision. Each individual person is going to make for their own health. But as we've seen, most people just don't care. They assume yeah. they're going to, they'll just be the average person who, as they age, they've got to be on a bunch of medications. They'll make it to age 78, the average age of the, of mortality for Americans. Um, sure. Unfortunately, the average age of retirement is 68 these days. So they're going to enjoy 10 years of retirement and then it's game over. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Years either. What's that? Probably not a very healthy 10 years either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure I'm not, a, I'm not alone when I've had many relatives who had uh, zero days of retirement that were, mm -hmm. you know, had a heart attack. Uh, like my uncle recently just was out farming. And then um, in early, in his early seventies, pretty young, I think he was 73 was oh, out wow. farming and came back, went to bed and never woke up um, and uh, was found, that. found dead in his bed a couple of days later when people noticed they hadn't seen him in a, in a little while. And another one of my uncles who had diet related diseases who, um, and both these uncles, um, both lived in Oregon, both were single and both only ate at restaurants, made zero food at home, mm -hmm. only ate super salty, sugary, oily, calorie rich and processed crap. And, right. and he also, I mean, he was in, you know, a, assisted living and then hospice and, but that was, I mean, mm -hmm. still, that was no retirement. You know, that was about two years of his life of, of suffering. My other uncle died instantly, other relatives, same kind of thing. Um, and we've just kind of gro have grown to accept it that as we age, we're going to be obese. That's just, that's statistically, that's just what happens to Americans. We become obese. We need to be on lots of medications to just try to manage our health. And then we're yeah. going to die before 80. And that's, we get 3 billion heartbeats in our life and that's it. And then it's over. It certainly doesn't have to be that way. And there's so many things that show a plant-based diet uh, there, I mean, they can, they can lead to increased longevity. There are the, there are the Adventist health study, something mm -hmm. like 96,000 participants over the course of 65 years shown that men on average with a plant-based diet live something like 12 or 13 years longer women, another eight to 10, cause they're already healthier than men anyway. So they only get an extra <laughs> eight, eight to 10 years, but this is significant. You get an extra decade. If you just switch to plant-based diet. We know from the Blue Zones work, Dan Bootner and, and his colleagues, that mm -hmm. the healthiest populations in the world eat predominantly plant-based, just a little bit of animal protein. They're active. They, they, they're they part of a community. They work outdoors. They garden. They walk. They live to be 100 years old in many cases or older. And you can do this kind of stuff. And you can do mm -hmm. it in a cruel, cruelty-free way that um, – and so we have to we have to think about that as we embrace the controversial subject of cellular meat. Yes, it saves animals, but is it, is it still going to contribute to the leading causes of, of human mortality? Probably. And so mm -hmm. that's it. That's something for every individual to decide for themselves. But as I've said over and over, um, we've seen most people just don't care.
And so yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's their own fate. They're going to have to come to terms with. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so if you had to give any practical advice for people who maybe wanted to switch to, I guess, let's say, first of all, a, a, a plant-based diet and also maybe like a healthy, you know, a whole food plant-based diet from, let's say like a standard American diet, what sort of advice would you offer to somebody like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really big on, you know, finding your why, like, why do you want to do it in the first place? Because diets fail, you know, goals fail, New Year's Mm -hmm. resolutions fail. These things don't stick. They don't last. But if find out why you want to do it, I mean, that's why have I been vegan for over 27 years? Because I never forgot why I embraced it in the first place. I never Mm -hmm. stopped caring about animals. You know, I never stopped wanting to make a difference and I found ways to make it work. I went from having absolutely no business in the sport of bodybuilding to becoming a champion. And for a period of time, the most recognized vegan bodybuilder in the whole world and writing Mm -hmm. best-selling books about it and traveling around the globe. I had no business doing it, but I cared enough about it. And I knew my why that I worked at it. I showed up day after day and it worked. Mm -hmm. You know, I put in the time, I chose my heart, I made it work. So I encourage you to start there, like to everybody listening. Why do you want to stop eating animals in the first place? Why do you want to embrace veganism in the first place? Why do you want a healthier or or longer life, perhaps, um, which is against statistically more likely with a plant based diet? Why? Who cares? Mm-hmm. What What do you want to get out of this? And then what I would say is, you've got to find some examples of people who have done it. And what are they eating? What are they doing? How are they living? What's their mindset? What do they do every day? What are their habits? What are their behaviors? What makes them tick? What makes it work? Because there's a good and bad way to do any kind of diet or lifestyle or nutrition program or or fitness endeavor or whatever the case is. But find the people who have been successful and see if you can model what they're doing. That's why we write books. That's why there's magazine articles. That's why there's free content on the internet. It, that's why there's videos. There's internet. Uh, there, there's interviews. There's podcasts. There's radio shows, there's blog posts, there's all kinds of free content, doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to buy my books or buy anybody else's books or pay for any documentaries. It's all free and it's accessible and it's available. So find some role models, find some plans. And then in as far as practical terms, what I encourage people to do is recognize your favorite plant-based foods. We all love, even the the most (laughs) anti-vegan among us, except maybe the carnivore folks, we mm-hmm. all love a lot of the same foods. We love seasonal berries, you know, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, whatever. We love seasonal stone fruit when it's when it's peach season, season mangoes, a, uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, nectarines, apricots, that kind of stuff. Um, we love some of the exotic fruits. That's where I meant to say mangoes or pineapple or or yeah. some of these some of these other ones. We love this kind of stuff. Um, uh, many of us eat things like rice and beans and oats all the time. Many of us eat, um, you know, particular nuts, walnuts or whatever, you know, on a regular basis. Um, Many of us, you know, love potatoes. It's one of the most popular foods in the whole world that we know because people love French fries, uh, mashed potatoes, but you know, there's many ways to eat, eat healthy potatoes. So what I said in my book, this one that's already out, the New York times bestseller, the plant-based athlete is that uh, make a list of your five favorite, like five favorite fruits, five favorite vegetables, five favorite legumes, five favorite grains, five favorite nuts, five favorite seeds. That gives you like 30 or so foods to begin with just right there. Mm -hmm. But you don't just eat like sesame seeds. Like that's my meal. 
so <laughs> why why list things like green beans or sesame seeds or sweet potatoes as your favorite foods? Well, one is to keep those ingredients around. Make sure you have those foods at home. If you know you love oats or lentils or rice or beans or avocado or bananas, make sure those are at home, right? Like Chef AJ says, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So keep the good stuff at home. Try to keep the bad stuff away. Furthermore, practical advice, write down your favorite types of meals, burrito bowls, tacos, enchiladas, pizza, burgers, sandwiches, curry, um, fried rice, pad thai, you know, sushi, whatever it is, right? So all your favorite uh, chili, stew, soup, you know, bagel, cream cheese, oatmeal, cereal. What is it? What do you eat? Like, what the heck do you like to eat? You know, um, and then understand that all of those things, doesn't matter what you mention. It could even be meatloaf can be made vegan, right? So anything you mention, man, I really love pizza. I really love burgers. I really love lasagna. Man, I love um, pasta, whatever. Yeah, it's all there. It's all, it's all can be made vegan. You can find a vegan recipe for anything you can possibly think of. So yeah. in practical terms, write down your favorite foods and then write down your favorite meals and see how those, you know, inter, inter, intertwine. I mean, yeah. just this way, I just had some sort of tofu, sriracha, vegetable thing. I went to the gym right before our conversation. And then I had this tofu, sriracha thing from Wicked Foods. I had sandwiches yesterday. I had these um, hummus wraps the day before. I had um, this amazing soup, like this homemade chicken noodle soup my wife made. I had pasta so last night. Uh, I had more sandwiches. Um, I had burgers the other day. In fact, I had burgers multiple nights in a row because yeah. visiting family. They yeah. made <laughs> vegan burgers for me, even though my wife had made vegan burgers the night before. And then I even went to Next Level Burger and all vegan burger joint and had <laughs> even more. I had a milkshake there. So look, I, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty fit guy, still in my mid 40s. You know, I, I I post silly flexing photos all the time. I'm still, I was doing it, I was doing some silly flexing right before our call. Um, I'm still in pretty good shape. I'm in pretty good shape, but I still well, I still will eat some of those things like vegan milkshakes and burgers or whatever, because why yeah. I'm trying to normalize veganism. I want mm -hmm. it to be accessible for everybody. I don't, I went through phases, Ryan, where I only ate like whole foods. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I was really proud of it. And I got like Dr. Campbell and Esselstyn and all these people to endorse my work. And it was great and sold tens of thousands of copies of my books. And I was invited to speak at all these whole food plant-based conferences and the vegan cruise for 10 years running. And I was kind of like labeled as like the whole food plant-based athlete guy when all my other vegan athlete friends were eating processed foods using sports supplements protein powders i wasn't doing any of that yeah. i'm still not doing the supplements um by the way aside from b12 i haven't used protein powders in over a decade and that kind of thing it's another topic but um but basically i eat all kinds of stuff you know because I, I want veganism to be normalized because i'm surrounded by non-vegan family friends, whatever, despite yeah. the, the, the vast number of vegan friends that I do have doing this lifestyle so long and touring mm -hmm. and working with vegan strong and the vegan gym and all these people I'm working with and spending time with and the vegan crews and all this stuff. I still have just tons of regular friends and family who are not vegan. And I want to show mm -hmm. them that I don't, I don't have to sit in the corner and eat like, you know, my, uh, my, my quinoa burger or my chips and salsa or my bagel and hummus. <laughs> 
but I can have anything else. You yeah. know, I can, I can eat all the stuff that they're having for holiday meals to just the other day. Like I said, I had, uh, well, I had enchiladas too at my, at my in-laws. Um, I was having, you know, they, they made vegan versions of all this stuff so that I could participate as well. And it wasn't boring. It was enchiladas and burgers and lasagna and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and, and so that's why I say that's part of making it practical because it makes it sustainable too. Cause if you're not enjoying yeah. it, if you're not enjoying your plant-based diet, you're probably not going to stick with it. You'll say, well, you, you know what, this just isn't for me. You know, I'll go back to yeah. eating other stuff. That's just more convenient and just tastes better. Well, I think that's one reason raw vegan, uh, raw veganism just popped in my head right there. I think that's one reason why a lot of times, you know, those are the ones who go back to uh, whatever they were eating. It's hard. You got to find oh, what yeah. works for you. Yeah, absolutely. I was just having that conversation um, with my wife yesterday on our dog walk because I, I got an email from Philly Rock Christina. She's someone I'm, I interviewed for one of my books. And I said, man, like she's yeah. made that work for a decade, you know, and, and, and she looks great. I mean, I don't know what her internal health is, but exterior on the exterior, she's, she's trim, she's fit, she's athletic. I've met her in person a bunch of times. I've seen her in, I don't know, California and Texas and various places. Um, but man, she's made that raw food thing stick for a decade, but I can't even get close to that. I, I made it stick for like it. five days. It, it wasn't for me. <laughs> Good, and I don't exactly. think it's for most people. It's not for most mm -hmm. people, but um, but she made it work and yeah. she looks great. She has a million followers on Instagram alone. She's made a nice you know, career out of um, her identity as a raw food vegan, but it's probably not for most people. And she knows that. Yeah. I know that. Most of us know that. Just like a whole food plant-based diet is so – I mean, I have stacks of cookbooks from Carly Bodrug and Will Bolsowitz and Tony Akimoto and all these people with the – you know. Um, Dr. Campbell's uh, daughter and his yeah. daughter-in-law and all these other people who have mm -hmm. the whole food plant-based cookbooks. And they're all very, very popular, but that is also limiting to a degree as well to not incorporate yeah. just regular food that most of us eat in a cruelty-free version. You know that, yeah it's, yeah, it's processed or yeah, it has oil in it or yeah, it's cooked or yeah, it's breaded with something, you know, in my perspective now, who cares as long as animals yeah. didn't suffer um, and as long as you eat for the most part, pretty healthy, who cares? Right. You know, I don't, I just don't worry anymore. I used to worry about judgment. I fear judgment yeah. quite a bit. Like, and I still get it. I get comments almost every day, you know, Robert, I see you eating these plant-based burgers, you know, is that healthy and all this kind of stuff? Like, man, I, I, right now I just don't care. I mean, I exercise probably more than most. I mean, at least lately yeah. I've been back at it pretty hard lately. I exercise nice. more than most. I get outside and fresh air. Um, I ate a plant-based diet. I ate a lot of fruit, stay hydrated. Um, I'm not worried about plant-based burger and my milkshake mm -hmm. that I have mm -hmm. on occasion. Like I'm just, I'm just not, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy life a little bit, right? Well, enjoy life as long as there's, it doesn't impact others. And exactly. as far as like, you know, causing animal suffering and this doesn't cause yes. any animal suffering yes. and, um, it's delicious. And, and it's delicious and it's hard to say. Um, based on studies and, and research we have available, that it's mm -hmm. that much worse for us than eating mm -hmm. exclusively whole food plant based. You know, it mm -hmm. just it's it's not we we can't detect that that having bread yeah. Yeah. is all of a sudden gonna you know cut five years off your life. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like you look at the Mediterranean diet. I mean, it's 
not fully vegan, but it's 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 voted year after year as the best diet mm-hmm. in the world above veganism and all of that because of some mm-hmm. other components of it that make it really sustainable. And so we have to objectively yeah. remove our personal bias and say, you know, that yeah, this this purely whole food plant based or raw food vegan diet or whatever is sometimes we think that's the ideal. I, I don't think so anymore. You know, I don't think like, mm-hmm. wow, I could never do that. What you're doing, what you're doing is like you know, next level. I don't think, I don't see that anymore. I, I see that as actually mm-hmm. um, perhaps um, less adequate type of diet yeah. because uh, because of the stress, the environmental stress, the social stress, the social cost mm-hmm. of veganism, um, the the uh, environmental stress of like not being able to find food within your, you know, within your environment when you're traveling somewhere or at an airport yeah. or at a friend's house or whatever, like, um so a lot, a lot of factors in that, but, um, in general for people like really just find your why have some motivation behind it, you know, follow like what, where your heart takes you and find the best foods that you love and make those part uh, that are plant-based and make those part of your everyday nutrition program. And that's, yeah. and that's a way to stay consistent and, and make veganism last for the long haul. Robert, I think that's an amazing place to leave off right there. That's a great note there. Um, so I want to be respectful of your time. We've been doing this for over an hour now. And um, where can people find you on social media? And uh, what uh, what products and such do you uh, do you want to pitch? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, so I'm, you know, uh, Robert Cheek online. You know, my last name is just like your face with an E on the end, or I guess your butt with an E on the end. Um, either way, Robert Cheek. Um, I do run veganbodybuilding.com, although I admit I've done nothing to the website in years. I've had it for more than 20 years, but like most people, I've kind of moved over to social media and I've used those as my platform. So I have vegan bodybuilding and fitness on social media, uh, on uh, Instagram and Facebook and all that, and Robert Cheek on all those platforms as well as Twitter. Uh, I use them fairly often, um, especially with a lot of touring that I do. I, I, I speak at a lot of events. I tour all year round. Um, just got back from a bunch of tours. I'm heading out on a bunch more. So I just sent a newsletter today, actually. And that's where you can subscribe on veganbodybuilding.com to my newsletter, which is where I update people like that I'm coming to Fort Lauderdale next week, you know, and that uh, for the Vegan Health and Fitness Expo. And then I'm going, I'm speaking in Fairfax, Virginia the week after that. I'm visiting some places along the way and then book signing in Portland, Oregon, and then Seattle, Washington and LA and all this. So that's where you can find a lot of those updates is just um, go to veganbodybuilding.com. You'll find my social media link. You'll find my newsletter sign-up link, and that's where we can stay connected. And maybe there's an opportunity to cross paths in person uh, down this uh, journey through life uh, when I'm out on the road. So that's where you can. I gotta find, find me. myself. Uh, I gotta sign up for that newsletter. I gotta see where you're. Uh, you're coming around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I've been. Um, I've signed books in 265 bookstores in 25 states. These are mostly just casual drop-ins, signing books. And um, in fact, uh, one of your friends, I believe, because she texted me today and she knew that we were doing a podcast <laughs> interview, Athena Trombley, <laughs> she she drove me around New Jersey and Pennsylvania and took me into yeah. Manhattan and, and she joined me for days of book signing. So I, I definitely get out to all corners of the country, you know, yeah. um, from southeast in florida to the northwest out in washington to out in southern california up in new england so i'm yeah. i'm all over the place and i and right out here in the midwest too you know i'm signing books in amarillo texas yeah. and st louis missouri and topeka kansas so i'm I'm all over the place 
I got to say, Robert, I mean, I'm very thankful for everything you do. And uh, you're one of the big reasons for why I went vegan, uh, vegan originally seven years ago. Uh, you're the one, uh, you're the, you're the vegan godfather. So, uh, you know, the vegan God bodybuilding godfather. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, I'm still, I'm still blown away when I hear that from people. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I, like including people, I don't just, I don't expect to hear from, um, from people who are podcast hosts or authors or, um, you know, uh, speakers or chefs or whatever. And I, and I, and I hear it. Um, and I guess, and I kind of joke, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I've been doing it for a long time <laughs> by default. Like who else did you have to look to back then? I guess that's kind of my joke. Like, well, I was like one of the few people doing it. So of course I'm going to be there on, on some people's radar because of that, <laughs> simply because of the longevity, but I do, but I do thank you for that, Ryan. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, Robert. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, stay on for one second after so I can give you a thank you. But um, yeah, thanks for your time, Robert. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Athex Approach Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, it would mean a ton if you gave the podcast a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, Pinecast, or any other service you're listening to it on. And if you subscribe to the Athex Fitness YouTube channel, Instagram page, Twitter, and Facebook page. Feel free to check out the articles, training, and nutrition programs, coaching services, and merch on athexfitness.com. And if you like what I'm making, dropping a like, commenting, and sharing would mean a ton to me. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out.